it's time for the Charter Chat Podcast. Please welcome your host, Juliet Lucero. Welcome to Charter Chat. I am your host, Juliet Lucero, and I am a mom, a wife of a charter school leader, a service provider to charter schools, and a supporter of the charter school movement. I've been working with charter schools since 2003, and I decided to start the Charter Chat podcast because I wanted to give back to the charter community that I support and I care about so much. I wanted to create a forum for charter school leaders to tell their story, including the challenges they face and the success stories of their students and teachers. And I'm very excited for my very first episode to have Anna Chavez of Value Schools. Value Schools is located in Los Angeles, California. They have four different campuses and they have a unique model where they are actually teaching the students values and helping them build character besides having the academic excellence that we all expect from our schools. So without further ado, here is my interview with Anna Chavez. Welcome, everyone. I am Juliette Lucero, and you are tuned into the Charter Chat podcast that features different charter schools from all over. For this episode, I'm thrilled to be interviewing Anna Chavez from Value Schools in Los Angeles, California. Welcome, Anna. Hello. Thank you so much for having me, Juliette. Oh, we're glad to have you. Why don't we start out by telling our audience a little bit about yourself? Okay, great. Well, I immigrated here to the Los Angeles area, specifically Pico Union, uh, back in 1986 as a result of the Civil War in El Salvador. My mother immigrated here with both my sister, brother, and I. In our arrival, basically, I immediately enrolled in our uh, traditional public school system, which was Magnolia Elementary at that time, then proceeded to go to Verendo. Uh, Los Angeles High, and for a while commuted to Taft High School, which was an hour away. I was one of those kids that was bused during the um, during the time when the rebellion happened uh, with um, with was it King King the beating of uh, yeah. the Rodney King, Rodney King, and during the riots, um, and then proceeded to basically graduate from UCLA, got my master's at U, um, Sacram- Cal State Sacramento, and also. Um, got my administrative credential and my teaching credential and all those credentials that you need in order to be able to uh, change lives in, in the educational system. Okay. So, so how did you get started in education and in charter schools in particular? In particular, yes. Um, so at the time, I was very passionate about being able to, to um, change lives specifically in, in uh, low-income areas in Pico Union, just as a way of uh, paying back and uh, and paying forward to all the people that really, you know, were able to move me forward and through education. I am a strong believer that education is the bridge between overcoming a lot of multi-generational trauma and being able to be successful and get, getting out of poverty. So that's what worked for me. And I'm a strong believer in that, but it takes a village, you know, it takes a lot of uh, passionate educators, um, a lot of political leaders, and people that are well off that believe in that that in that system and believe in sharing that wealth. And so I wanted to be part of that. 
And so I was really intrigued by, at that time, for educational systems that were non-traditional and really did not give up on young people, um, regardless of their circumstance. And I was very intrigued by Soledad and Enrichment Action at the time, which was founded by two mothers who uh, lost sons uh, due to gang violence, and it was actually opposing. One had lost it to death and the other one to the jail system. And they founded a school that would particularly enroll students that were coming from the juvenile hall system and had only two weeks to enroll there. And so that's how I, I was hired in, um, f- to be the, for the very first time at 23, 24, <laughs> uh, teacher of, um, at that time, 18 young women at Soledad Enrichment Action Girls Academy. And I was supposed to make sure that they met their A3G requirements and went to college. <laughs> with everything that they had going on in their lives. So for five years, I worked on that. And it was one of the most um, positive experiences. I think it made me into the person that I am now. Until this day, a lot of the students that I had at that time, now they're 35 with kids and have moved on, are still my friends on social media. And we communicate and I stay in touch with uh, many of them from that time. That's great. You were a true mentor to these. (laughs) I wanted to be. Yes, yes, yes. (laughs) So what led you to value schools? Yeah. So during that time, um, I wanted to try um, something um, different. I uh, There were still a lot of challenges, I would say, administratively. I, I still feel that there wasn't enough and that maybe perhaps, it, perhaps um, intervention needed to start at an earlier age. So I wanted to explore a little bit more of the K through eighth grade model. And so I got a job at Downtown Value School, which is one of the value schools um, now. And at that time, the school had only been open for two years. Uh, they started with 25 students in a gym and then um, back in 2002. And within two to three years, they basically had an enrollment of over 400 students with um, uh, one with 150 to 250 students on the waiting list. Um, they were to, obviously doing something right. Yes, yes. And so uh, a lot of what is, so at the time, en- enrollment increased rapidly. And then at the same time, there was a, a high school component to it, ninth through 12th uh, school, that which did not have its their facility yet. And so they were, I believe they were in seven different locations for a span of six years. Um, and it was absolutely amazing how a lot of the students still stay with the school, the families, and also even teachers, you know, and, and, the, and a lot of the belief was that a building doesn't make a school. It's really the vision and the mission and collectively together what, what makes a school is not necessarily just the facility. The facility certainly helps, but... Um, <laughs> Which is this, a huge challenge here in Los Angeles is facilities for charter schools. Very, very much. But um, the founder at that time, Jerome Porath, uh, truly believed that a co-locating, a loc- co-locating or sharing a space with traditional school systems already as it was uh, would be really challenging for us to implement our model and um, to constantly be comparing ourselves to what the traditional school model system offers. We wanted to be different, innovative and also inculcate all those values um, and character development that the mission believes in, in in our students. And in order to do that, uh, you really have to create your own space. 
Oh, definitely. And I know I've worked with many charter schools in LA that have been in that very exact same situation where they're one school, but they're on multiple different locations. And those parents must really want to send those kids to their school because they may have two or three kids that they're dropping off at the various different locations. Exactly, yes. So while our high school, um, our sister high school was really uh, struggling trying to find a space, which they now have, they're now on Virgil and, and Beverly, and they have found their space and they've been there for several years now. Downtown Value School was really fortunate to have this this facility that used to be a funeral home. I, that particular area, <laughs> yes. So that particular area where we ended up um, was known as the Mortuary District. District, yes. Um, and I'm pretty sure there's a rich history on that, right? Like as to how does it become, how how is it that this particular neighborhood needed so many funeral homes? But one of those funeral homes uh, was a historic building too, a beautiful brick building. And it was just turning to a school. And so um, we hope that there's, there is a lot of beautiful energy in there. But it, it, so it's two floors. And what's unique about it is that so much magic happens in there. It's K, K, kinder through eighth grade, 456 students, two classes for every grade level mm-hmm. from kinder through eighth. The parking lot is used as a a ceremonial gathering every single morning where the values are inculcated and you give scenarios and different um, scenes about what our, our school values look like, which I will be talking about that. But in addition to being a ceremonial gathering of places, it's also the physical education field. Mm. It's also the where uh, we have staggering recess and also the cafeteria. And it's also the space where sometimes even, you know, um, if, let's say if someone is teaching a dance class, they will come in and use it as a, as a space to right. reconvene. So really it's a multi-purpose playground that, it, that it's used. And then you have the different rooms that as soon as the day is over, then it's taken over by the after-school program. So, um, and then on Saturday and Sunday, you have uh, a parent instructor delivering classes um, for, for our parents, or you have our parents actually teaching uh, other parents uh, topics that they were really cognizant of in their own, um, in their own country or a specialty, something that they have learned, you know, about here in this country. So you're actually so, teaching the parents besides just the children. Oh, yes, you, you have to. I, like I said, you know, in order for to push students uh, to and through college, I think it takes a village and it, it, it the parents are a partnership in, in this whole thing. It's not just it's not just a teacher a role or just a student doing the work, but it really it takes from so many different angles, even communities, com- the com- community. So because the sometimes, you know, we are limited with a parking area and having like a basketball court or having a field, we have to work in partnership with recreation and parks where we um, we go to that field and in that field, we're able to do some of the sports, some of the various sports in the afternoon or throughout the day. And then a lot of other charters in that area also have to share that space. So right. we have to work in partnership with um, recreation parks. I know that we've also... City. Yes, um, City of Recreation and Parks. And then also um, with FITAM, the Fashion Institute Design, like if we needed extra support and we didn't have the funding for a TA, Usually through their work study program, fit on people would come and also support our school. 
working with uh, LACMA, you know, as far as like nominating teachers of the years, but also being able to participate in the science program. So it takes a village and it takes um, also all these com- all these community resources that are in the area and giving, bringing them to our school and having access and being the bridge, you know, for our families and parents. Yeah, I'm always amazed how creative charter schools get with facilities and locations and turning it into a full school mm-hmm. that you know a district school might already have all these resources on their campus but yes. the charter schools have to be extra creative I feel like yes they do <laughs> they definitely do especially they... here in the LA area yes so I understand you guys have four schools at value schools uh yes so um so since our uh founder jerome poras retired uh we had another ceo and that was jerry jacoby one of the legacies that she left is she along with uh, a team of principals uh, began also opened up two new schools so another elementary k through eighth um called everest value schools and then another a second high school called university prep a value school Both, uh, I would say the university prep, a value school has been fully enrolled, but for Everest, it has been really challenging because of the building. They are renting a space in in a church. I forget the name of the church, but it's right on 6th and Wilshire. And that particular church uh, has, uh, because of a loss of occupancy and for kindergartners, basically they are not able to they're not able to enroll more than 260 students, even though they have also a waiting list. And, and for, some, for a lot of grades, they're not able to expand on that. And it has been because of gentrification and the race and rents and, and property, and specifically in downtown LA, it has been practically impossible to find a building and a facility for, for this particular school, for Everest Value Schools. We currently have a campaign going on called We Climb Campaign, where board members and uh, students from all the other campuses and families, we've been working really hard fundraising uh, $4 million so that we're able to pay for a new facility for our sister school. So far, we have about, I believe, a little bit more than $2 million, so we're halfway there. (laughs) (laughs) But we definitely need support, and so... This morning, they were having free dress at one of the schools, at all the schools, all at the same time. And whatever little dollar is made, you know, it goes towards our sister school because we want them to, we want them to have their own facility, you know, and, and their own space. But also, um, I just, my heart aches for all those um, students and families that are on the waiting list mm-hmm. uh, that are missing on, a, on an opportunity to participate in such a rich program, such as the one that Everest is able to provide, you know, or each yeah. one of our schools, but in particularly Everest because it's not fully enrolled. So why don't you tell me a little bit about, because um, it seems like you have a very unique thing that you teach at your schools where values is is the core component and building character. Mm -hmm. So why don't we get a little bit into what you do at Value Schools? Yes. So I would say we are very different than uh, other charter schools and the traditional school systems because we focus a lot on values and character development. So Traditionally, our, our founder, Jerome Porath, felt that, found that a lot of, um, he was the superintendent for many parochial schools, and he found that a lot of the private schools and inner city schools were being closed down because families could not afford the tuition and then resorted to basically going to traditional school systems. 
So he wanted to create something that still focused on uh, character development and and, and values um, without putting the religious piece to it and focus on academic achievement and be able to provide families specifically in, in historically underserved communities the opportunity to have access to like a type of private education type mm-hmm. of learning, but without it being private and being public and everybody being free. being free and everybody having access to it. And so he narrowed those elements down to the following. First of all is that academic excellence is the means to a full life, meaning that the pathway to getting out of poverty, to being successful in life is that you are an educated person and therefore academic excellence is the pathway to that. So the way that that would in particularly look for a lot of our, our schools is, is focusing on attendance, celebrating attendance, being able to focus on a lot of what happens in the rigor that happens in the classroom and making sure that, that part of that rigor is, is meaningful and related to current topics that are going on around the world and in their community. A lot of it, academic excellence also meant basically not only getting to college, but then pushing through. So the first value being academic excellence is the means for a full life. So at the elementary level, K through eight, it looks more like going to school is the most important thing you could do right now, no matter what is going on in, in their lives at home, which sometimes is a lot, but really prioritizing education. The second value goes into the belief that every single child has potential and that it is the role of the school and the school community to push that potential as as much as we can. So not only as educators, but also as families, as parents, but as children, we are constantly developing our potential. And how do we do that? We do that by having uh, short-term and long-term goals. So students have to be really reflective about, for that academic year, basically, what what are your goals? What are your goals in, in uh, math? What are your goals in language arts? What are your goals in behavior? Uh, or as far as respect, as far as collaboration, as far as giving to others? And being able to reflect uh, periodically with parents, with families, with teachers, where they are in their goal through, through that year. And eventually with the goal in mind to get to college, right? And then through to college. So inculcating these habits beginning in kindergarten and all the way through college. We now have alumni that have graduated from colleges until this day, they are able to come back and recite the school values and are able to speak to them. <laughs> so, great. so then that's, that's another, that's the second one that the third, our third value, it has to do with being that the idea that we are all unique and that we all deserve respect. And how does that look like in our community? Like uh, the, the using respectful language, being, uh, communicating in a respectful way. How do we define relationships that are respectful? to each other and what does that look like so constantly exploring the idea of respect and Mm -hmm. and honoring and respect for the environment and uh, respect for our elders respect for for partnerships Um, so unfortunately a lot of these students might not be getting that at home exactly their parents may have been raised totally different exactly and yes do you see some of it passing back 
to the home with oh, the parents because it, it yes. sounds like you guys are trying to educate the parents too. Yes, and a lot of these values, what's powerful about them is that a lot of these values, uh, although the student may be learning them at school, they are taking that at home, you know? So for example, one student was sharing, a high school student was sharing that they were at home and I think one of the parents literally and they threw a piece of trash and then they said, you know, we have to have respect for the environment, mom. Like we have to pick that up and keep our environment clean. Another one shared a story about uh, work habits and how their little, uh, their younger brother and sister was doing, was not focusing and doing their homework. And so then they talked about how academic excellence is the most important thing that they should be doing right now. And really they should be focusing on their homework. So a lot of it, they, they go back and they take it to their parents or their younger and they're siblings. teaching their siblings yes it's it's really powerful and at the same time you also have you we have to work with our teachers and and ad- administrative team sometimes because there's a discrepancy where in school we're for example talking about how important it is to take care of the environment but then they're coming as they get to school every morning they have to walk through alleys that are have a lot of graffiti Mm-hmm. or a lot of, you know, areas that that are not properly cleaned by the city. So sometimes there's a discrepancy in those things and how do we talk about that? You know, with, with still having respect for the community, how can we go back and change it? Which comes back to our last two values, um, one being really creating in, in our schools collaboration and creating a nurturing community, the, the openness to make mistakes. It's okay to make mistakes and how we grow from that and how that's how we develop our potential. So they're, they're all the values are also interconnected. So it's really difficult to speak with one in isolation. So when we talk about collaboration and creating a nurturing community, part of creating a nurturing community is being forgiving, being able to talk about making mistakes and being able to reflect on about growth and how we are going to get better and working how we're all working together. Nobody is higher or lower and we're all equal in this partnership in order to get their children to and through college. And then the last one is really basically coming back uh, as, as an adult, and it is the role of an educated person to then come back and give back to their community, which is kind of the one that I relate to the most. Like, I feel like I owe my community and I have to, because I'm an educated person now, I have to come back and how, what is my contribution to, to all those elders that helped me in the past? How am I giving them back? And so we try to inculcate that with our students that everything that they're learning, eventually they have to give back. And, and that is not a, an option. It's, it's a role. Like you're going to be giving back once you graduate from college. So how are we going to do that? And not wait until then so a lot of the schools have fundraisers in this case we're, we we have the we climb campaign to help our everest school but also in other cases they're they're help they're they collect items to build packages for the homeless yeah helping the community helping the community, community projects yeah in so many ways all the way from homeless to children with uh, terminal illness at children's hospital to like victims in other countries that are like having water drought. Um, So there's a lot of different projects at different schools where they're helping, if not the environment, a particular group that's in crisis. Oh, that's really good. Yeah, we do a lot of that at the company I work for too, because 
we like to give back to the community. We have this MLK Day Servathon we do every year mm-hmm. where we're doing different projects similar yeah. to that. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've made stuffed animals for chalk for the children's hospital. Oh, yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's so rewarding. It's so rewarding. You know, they have to give back. Do you want to help us get the word out? Help us get the show in the ears of more listeners. You can do that by going to iTunes, subscribing, and leaving a comment. Now back to the show. So do you have any recent accomplishments at your school you want to share? Yes, uh, we're certainly, uh, I I mean, I'm sure that the charter community know this, that in order for us to exist, we have to constantly prove ourselves academically, right? So right now we still remain um, higher, we have higher academic rates in language arts and and in math than our neighboring um, district schools. We have an outstanding, involved, engaged, um, board in our schools that very important. yes we right now the board has um, is working at so many different levels in making sure our school is excelling but I'm particularly thrilled with with one of our board members Grant Cambridge has this program where he is uh, he travels every year with some of our high high gifted students takes them back to the east coast and with fully included you know flight room and board and gives them a tour of the Ivy league schools like brown mit harvard and so i am great opportunity so one of the major achievements as the school has done is that we have quite a few students at at these schools at these ivy league schools now providing tours for some of our students that are incoming i mean that is so incredibly rewarding to to be able to highlight that so that's the best program another highlight is i am specifically in charge of the chronic absenteeism um group this is fairly new in the, um, in nationwide with the state of California with now even excused absences being accounted at the state right. level K through 12. So last year probably uh, most of our student most of our schools were at 10 per- above 10 percent with chronic absenteeism but one big achievement and I think it has been a team effort not only the students the parents and with my little bit of my work but um, we have been being able to bring that down to five percent for this uh, for last academic year and I to be honest with you I think this year, at least for three out of our four schools, they're going to be below 2% oh, that's with chronic absenteeism. So, yeah, so our average daily attendance is very high. Kids want to come to your school. They want to come. We we have some students that are coming as far as that are waking up at four in the morning to in order to commute to our schools. And they're coming as far from Riverside, from Compton, uh, from, uh, I actually had one from San Bernardino, just, you know, because they believe in our school program and are excited about coming to a value schools. Well, that's great. Well, maybe you guys should be looking at some of these other areas to start opening schools in the future to bring I, your model to some of the other parts of Southern yes, California. I would be delighted. Yes, it, that would be wonderful. Well, is there anything else that you want to share bef- with our audience before we wrap up today? Yes. Um, I think one last thing is I, I wholeheartedly believe in the in the charter school movement. I, I feel that that we are intended to be innovative and, and different than what traditionally has happened in a lot of our schools. It really hurts uh, my heart when so many families in our waiting lists that are hopeful that a new school is opened up or that they have an opportunity to experience these innovative programs that they may not have the chance to do so if if legislation or um, it's pushed forward to to not continue opening charter schools, that would be really heartbreaking just because we really need something different, something new that is also free. 
and um, not to it's replace not a one it. size fits all. No, exactly not not to replace any any current system, but truly to to just have opportunity for for parents to have choice and not have to commute one two hours in order to get to to a program that's successful. I think it's that's important. So if anything, I think I I would like to leave everyone that message. How how can you any anyone that's listening to this podcast? How can um what can you do to to research to see what you can do in order to support the charter movement is one thing I will leave everyone to do. Yeah, that sounds great. So how can people find out more about value schools? You have a website and also how do they donate to your school <laughs> building fund? Oh, yes, um, definitely go to www.valueschools.com and all the information will be there. It's V-A-L-U-E schools, plural, <laughs> dot com. And all our four webs, uh, four schools are there, our charter, our information, all the events that happen at our schools, our calendars, and definitely how to donate. We really need support. We need support. We're making something wonderful here. Yes, it sounds like you guys are doing a really good job. So thank you so much, Anna, for talking with me today. And I just want to remind our audience to put kids first. Yes, thank you. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Charter Chat Podcast. Be sure to visit charterchatpodcast.com to join the conversation, access the show notes, and discover our fantastic bonus content. Just remember to put kids first. See you next time.